Hello, hello, hello. There we go. Good. If I were to ask you to take out your bulletin and write on the front of it, five things that you believe you need most to be content in your life, what would those five things be? Here's a list from U.S. News and World Report. Ten things Americans can't live without. Computers. High-speed internet, smartphones, education, movies, TV, music downloads, pets, booze, and coffee. <laughs> now, your top ten may be a little different from that, especially if you're Baptist. You've got to take the booze thing off. Each of us has a list. And whatever it is that you and I put on our list, we need to take that and put it beside the list that Jesus has for us of the things that we need most. And if there's a great discrepancy between the two lists, between what we think we need to be content and between what the Lord thinks we need to be content, then we know what we have to do, right? The Lord doesn't need to change His list. We need to change ours, right? Because if, if you and I will be those who faithfully seek to, to follow Christ and be His disciple, then you and I may need to make some changes in the way we think and the way we live and the way we choose so that we find contentment in our lives, not in what we believe we need, but in what the Lord says we need. We've got to always... Find contentment in what the Lord has for us. That's what we're going to talk about this morning as we return once again to Matthew chapter 6 and the the Lord's Prayer. If you have your Bibles with you, if you would open up to that chapter, Matthew chapter 6. If you're using a pew in the Bible, you'll find the passage on page 811. And when you've found your place in whatever Bible you're using, if you'll stand... We will hear read together the word of the living God. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, Jesus is speaking. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we long to hear from you this morning through your word by the power of your spirit. So we pray, Lord, that you would grant us that request as we look again at this prayer that you taught us to pray. Teach us, Lord, your truth, your will, how we should live our lives, the kind of people we should be. And Lord, through the power of your Spirit, make us those people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may may be seated. We're returning again this morning to this fourth petition in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Last week we 
focused only on the dependence that this prayer teaches us. We've got to be dependent on God for all things. But Jesus is teaching more here than independence, more than we could get to last Sunday. And so, as promised, we return again to this portion of the Lord's Prayer to understand more of its richness and to be transformed even more by it. When you and I make this fourth request, give me this day my daily bread, we are confessing not only our dependence on God, but we're requiring something of ourselves. And and what we're requiring is that each of us look into our own hearts and assess the level of commitment we find there. How do you think you would respond if you sincerely prayed this prayer, Lord, give me this day my daily bread, and the Lord answered it very literally? And by that I mean that if you requested daily bread and the Lord only gave you daily bread and nothing else, would that be good enough for you? Would you be content? Be honest. Would you feel blessed by God with just daily bread? Or might you feel a little slighted? Lord, is this all? I mean, I know I asked for daily bread, but, but how content would you be if you only had your basic needs covered every day? If you would not be content, if you would need more, why would you need more? See, this is the kind of self-evaluation to which we are driven when we pray this prayer. And in the midst of praying it, if you look in your heart and you find that there is discontentment there, do not shun the discontentment and say, well, it's not very Christian to be discontent. I'll ignore it. No, make that discontentment your friend, your guide. Take it by the collar, discontentment, and say, lead me to the Lord. That's what discontentment can do. I'm so glad, you know, the the Lord always orchestrates things way beyond my ability. And here we are talking about this on Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is a perfect day to talk about contentment and, and discontentment. Because on this day, Palm Sunday, Jesus was escorted into Jerusalem by a group of people who were actually very discontented. And their discontentment led them to Jesus. And so there are at least three lessons that we can learn from this group of people who accompanied Jesus on this day. And the first lesson is this. You can't manufacture your own contentment. You cannot manufacture your own contentment. It's true that on Palm Sunday, the crowd escorting Jesus was exuberant, excited, exhilarated. But all of this joy was actually born out of a a sense of great discontentment. And it was their discontentment that led them to the Lord. And they were discontent because life under Roman rule was oppressive 
to them. Roman laws were oppressive to them. Roman taxes were oppressive to them. Just the idea that they as a people were subjugated to Rome was oppressive to them. And these discontent people were looking for real change and lasting change. And they were longing for something or someone who would alleviate their discontentment. And that's why we read in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. But after Jesus had fed way more than 5,000 people with the five small loaves and the two fish, that the people decided, "Ah, Jesus is our man. He's the one who can alleviate our discontent. And according to the story, as John tells it, that crowd of people decided that they would take Jesus by force and make him their king. Now understand that force is not a gentle word. Force requires violence. If you take someone by force, you grab them, you you seize them suddenly and gain control over them, and that's exactly what these people wanted to do to Jesus because they thought they saw in him a way to manufacture that contentment that they so longed for, to manipulate it into reality. But, but, Jesus knows self-manufactured contentment is not real. The contentment we make for ourselves, it's counterfeit contentment. So why should Jesus allow them to have To seize what will not bless them or be for their benefit. Well, he will not allow it. Jesus is going to offer true contentment for their discontent. But it's going to be at his perfect time and in his perfect way. And this time is not the right time and this way is not the right way. And so there's no contentment to be found on this day in this forced manufactured way. So, what does Jesus do? He evades the crowd, he slips away, and he goes all alone to the mountain. Whenever you and I pray, give us this day our daily bread. What we're doing is relinquishing the patent rights for manufacturing our own contentment. And most of us in our lives have just such a manufacturing process. We are not so very different from the ones who wanted to take Jesus by force. We see what we perceive will make us content. We know how to get it. And oftentimes, we achieve it. Instead, you and I should be praying, Lord... You give me this day my daily bread. Lord, I place this matter in your hands. You know just what to give me that will lead me to contentment. Lord, you know just what to bring into my life day by day so that at the end of that day and every day, I am singing, It is well with my soul. That's lesson one. You can't manufacture contentment.
The second lesson that we learn from the crowd is that you may have to take risks to find contentment. You may have to take risks to find contentment according to the plan of the Father. Palm Sunday is the right time, and Palm Sunday is the right way to proclaim that Jesus is King. And so instead of slipping away from the crowd and evading them, on this day, Jesus embraces all the praise, all the honor that's given to him by this crowd as they proclaim him to be king. But it's a risky business. It's a life-threatening business for the people participating in Palm Sunday to make this bold proclamation. Because what they're doing could be considered a rebel uprising. And rebel uprising leads to riots, and Rome doesn't like riots. And while Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on one side of the town, the Roman governor Pilate and all his pomp and all his power is entering into Jerusalem from the other side of town. Pilate has shown up at the same time as Jesus and all of his military might. During this week when Jerusalem will be crowded with tens of thousands of people who had come to celebrate the Passover, Pilate has come so that no one will forget Rome is in charge. The residents of Jerusalem are subjected to Rome. I love it when the children come down the aisle. Didn't you love that? Hosanna. It's beautiful. But let's not allow that to sweeten or sanitize the scene too much. Because the potential for a volatile situation is huge on this first Palm Sunday. But such was the level of the discontent of the people in this crowd that they were willing to take the risk. Everything they did that day acknowledged that this man, Jesus, he is our king. He is the new David. He is the better David. Jesus is riding on a donkey. That's the Old Testament sign and symbol of kingship. The crowd spread their cloaks on the ground before Jesus. That's a physical demonstration that says we submit to you as our king. They're waving palm branches, a sign of Jewish nationalism. Palm branches appeared everywhere. It was on Jewish money. It was the palm branches were carved into the doors and the walls of the temple. And so waving a palm branch would be the same as you and I waving an American flag, which is okay as long as we're waving it in America, and not in the country that we hope to to throw over. And so the crowd is rebelling. They're proclaiming that Jesus is their true king. That guy riding into town on the other side of town, he's not our king, and he doesn't represent our king. So when you consider the notorious brutality of the Roman government, when you consider the obsession that the Caesars had for absolute allegiance, even to the point of being worshipped themselves as God, you can see how risky it was for these people 
to put forth a rival king so openly. The Antonia Fortress, built right beside the temple, the very place where Jesus is headed. It was barracks for 600 soldiers, and they must have all been on high alert on this Palm Sunday with Pilate coming into town. All that to say, as far as personal safety was concerned, and we're all concerned about personal safety, this is absolutely the worst time to be proclaiming a new king. That speaks to the depth of the discontentment of these people. And such was their hope that Jesus could bring about peace and contentment to them. They were willing to take the risk. So how do we apply this? I don't believe that anyone in this room is in danger of physical harm or your lives are in danger because you want to look to Jesus for contentment. But I believe this, if you and I boldly declare, I am going to find my contentment in Christ alone and in what He provides for me every day, your life might begin to take on a radical look. You might start making radical decisions. You might start living in a radical way, and it's usually risky to be radical. Am I wrong? Your spouse might look at you and say, Are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? What's wrong with you? What are you thinking? What are you doing for, to our safety and our security? Maybe it'll be a parent that asks those questions of you. We're a close friend. What are you doing? Living like this. Praying like this. Now, I don't want everybody to run out of this place and do something radical and risky and say, well, that's how Craig said we find contentment. No. I remind us that this is a prayer. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And prayer is a dialogue between you and the Lord, between us together and the Lord. So we can rest content that when that dialogue is open, when it's ongoing, when it's informed by the truth of the Word of God, when it's guided by the Holy Spirit, then any risks that we're called to will be from the Lord. The radical that may appear in our life will be from His leading. The point is this. We just need to be willing to take the risks. We need to be willing to give up self-manufactured safety and security and comfort and approval that we perceive it might bring for the better one for the real one that Jesus can provide. So are we good on that? No crazies here today, right? Having said that, we come now to the third lesson that we can learn from this crowd. And that is that we must allow Jesus to define contentment for us. We have to allow Jesus to define contentment. You and I can't manufacture it. Precisely because we don't really know what it's supposed to look like for our lives. So we can't produce a product that we don't even know what it is. We think we know what will make us content. But surely you and I have been deceived enough by this in our lives. Have you been deceived by this? 
you've thought that something or somebody in your life, that that was going to make you really content. And then when you got that person, then when you got that thing, guess what? You weren't very content. Has that happened to anyone here in this room? Am I the only one? So you'd think we would learn not to trust ourselves in this anymore. And that's the point of our praying, Lord, you give me my daily bread. We've got to allow the Lord to define what that is. We can't force our ideas of a contented life on Him. And that, unfortunately, is what the crowd surrounding Him on Palm Sunday did. We know the rest of the story. We'll be acting it out this week. Over the course of the next four days, the crowd began to see that Jesus' idea of and way to commitment was drastic, a contentment was drastically different from theirs. They believed that they would be most content, most settled, when they had an earthly political king, one who would give Rome what was coming to them, one who would establish Israel once again as a national and international world power. And when those people began to see that Jesus had no intention of doing any of that, Palm Sunday's Hosannas turned into Good Friday's Crucify Him. Crucify Him. Over and over, they said it again and again. Crucify Him. Because Jesus disappointed their expectations. He did not content their discontent in the way they had predetermined that he should do it. And so they turned on him. And guess what? They did not find contentment in turning away from Jesus. They continued to live lives of discontent, and that discontent grew and it grew. And their continued attempts to manufacture their own contentment would lead in just a few short decades to Rome's decision to totally destroy Jerusalem and the temple. Thousands were slaughtered. Thousands more were enslaved, sent to work in the mines in Egypt. Others were dispersed throughout the empire of Rome to arenas where they were butchered for the amusement of the public. When you turn away from Jesus... You will only have discontent. So, we must turn to Him, wouldn't you agree? And allow Him to define what will bring contentment to us. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And that's difficult for us. Because our culture is full of voices that define contentment in a very different way. This is from Harvard Business Review. Business sometimes has a bad name, and marketing is particularly singled out, especially advertising. Even business people often hold marketing in deep suspicion. It's widely suspected of trying with all the intelligence, technology, and cunning it can command to get people to want what they don't need, of overpromising 
and exaggerating what can be delivered and, worse, of exploiting people's vulnerabilities to get them to value, want, and expect the unattainable and undesirable. Individuals often don't perceive any need for particular products until they have been persuasively exposed to the possibility of having them. And it's marketing experts who expertly do the persuading. And when an expert takes on an amateur, especially when money is involved, the general feeling is that it's unfair. You and I are taking on the experts every day of our lives. And so no wonder Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, give us this day our daily bread. See, much of our discontent comes to us when we don't believe that we have what we need. And so we go up against these experts whose goal is to make us feel discontent and then to act in ways that we manufacture our own contentment. All that to say is we structure our lives. You know it's true. And we make decisions to attain something we think will make us happy, whether that's a thing or a certain lifestyle we think looks so appealing. And too often we make compromises, particularly in our commitment to be a faithful follower of Christ in order to attain these things. We have to realize this morning that God has designed us so we know it's a possibility. God has designed us that we can be content with our daily bread. Think of the stress and the discontent that's added to our lives, not only in attaining, but in maintaining and keeping stuff. doesn't have to be that way. Give us this day our daily bread. But we need to hear God's word on this, not mine. It's His word that needs to rule and reign in our lives. So I want us to look at a few passages together. First is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you'll turn there, it's page 970 in the Pew Bible. You need to hear it and see it because this is God's will for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. The Apostle Paul is writing, and he said, But the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, page 982. Philippians chapter 4, 11 through 13, again, the Apostle Paul is writing, Not that I am speaking of being in need, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, 
and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. 1 Timothy chapter 6, page 993. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we, can take, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Paul personally knows people who chose to find contentment in things over finding contentment in Christ. These were people in his church, probably churches that he planted. And these were people who could not bring themselves to pray, give me this day my daily bread, and really mean for Jesus to answer that prayer. Their desire for contentment beyond Christ led them to ruin and destruction. We need to be sincere when we pray this prayer. A couple of more. You don't have to turn to these quickly. Hebrews chapter 13. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And the last one is this. It's from Proverbs chapter 30. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Now take all these verses together. And they speak of a contentment that comes from a different place than material things. They speak of sufficient grace. That's where we find contentment in looking for and living in God's daily grace. These verses speak of trusting God's power When we're weak. In that beautiful work of God, we find contentment. These verses speak of righteousness and godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Contentment comes to your life and mine. When we live like this kind of people with these kind of virtues. These verses speak of being confident. That your faithful God will never, ever leave you or forsake you. In that, you and I 
can find contentment. These verses talk about knowing and honoring the Lord with our lives and the contentment that comes to us at the end of each day, knowing that we have sought to the best of our ability during the course of that day to honor the Lord throughout the day. The proverb writer prayed for day by day by day daily bread so that he would stay close to the Lord. Or the way he says it, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God, seeking more than daily bread. Attempting to manufacture it might cause that proverb writer to forget God and to profane his, profane his name in seeking to manufacture his own contentment, and he would rather die than do that. Early church father. I'm almost done. And God's people said, <laughs> early church fathers, such as Origen and Chrysostom and Jerome, they took the word daily here to mean necessary for existence, the way I'm taking it this morning. But there are other words in Greek that mean more than enough. More than enough. And we find those words in verses like Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask. I just read that so that none of us think here that our Father is a meager, stingy Father. He is not. And this verse about daily bread has nothing to do with God's ability to give or what He might choose to pour out on us. It has to do with our hearts and what is enough for us. Just pray for that. Be content with it and allow God to add all the other things. And if the Lord entrusts you with far more than you need for each day, then you will be responsible for stewarding those good gifts of God, for using those abundant gifts for God's glory and for the advancement of His kingdom here on earth. And when you use those resources in that way, guess what? You are going to have a content life. The Apostle Philip made this request of Jesus in the upper room. The Last Supper, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Philip didn't understand what he was asking, but his request was beautiful. Anyway, Philip might have been requesting an Old Testament-style theophany, an appearance of God himself. It doesn't matter, because Philip knew this. Whatever their lives might contain, or whatever their lives might be missing from them, seeing the Father would be enough to satisfy them. And so Jesus answered Philip, He who has seen me has seen the Father. So that's the good news this morning. You ready for some good news? Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. If you don't know him this morning, you need to know him. If you're restless, if you're discontent in life, I can promise you this. You turn in faith to Christ and you're going to find contentment beyond what you ever 
imagined. Because when you come to him, he'll welcome you. He'll forgive you. Is that good news? Do it. If you're here and you're already a believer, you know that the world might think you're a little bit cray-cray. Take and leave of your senses. If you pray every day and mean every day, Lord, give me this day my daily bread, but you're not crazy. You are not crazy. You're blessed with a contentment that can come only from the Lord when you allow Him to define contentment for you. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. We are treated, we're perceived, we're defined as imposters. And yet, we're true. As unknown, and yet well-known. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, yet we're not killed. As sorrowful, yet we're always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. Appearances can be deceiving. And that's why we must all look to the Lord to define contentment. We can't manufacture it. It might be risky to attain it. But let's pray it anyway. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And let's be people who find our contentment in Christ and what He provides. And then I guarantee this, it will be well with our souls. You believe that? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, You are such a good God. That we can even come to you and ask you, the God of the universe, for anything. And yet, Lord, you tell us to come. You want us to come. It's the delight of your heart when your people come before you, even with requests. We thank you that you're the God that loves us enough to provide daily bread, which is really all we need to get to tomorrow. So we thank you, Lord, for your great provision for us. We pray, Lord, that you would use your truth to penetrate uh, our hearts and our minds. Lord, ours is a difficult world in which to live. And by difficult, Lord, I mean first world problems where we have too much. Father, I pray that you would balance not balance, override the voice of the world, our culture, what it tells us that we need, Lord, so that we are truly biblical thinkers and biblical livers, livers, Lord, where we allow you to define contentment for us, where we are satisfied, Lord, in you and in you alone and what you give to us. Lord, it is radical to think this way. It's more radical to live this way, but you were radical as you came to earth, a, a radical thing to do, Lord, as you gave your life for us, a radical thing to do, as you lived in this world with nothing, not even a place to lay your head. Lord, just do what you need to do, we pray, to make us faithful followers of you, living as you want us to live, rejoicing in what you rejoice in, being content in what you give. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.